the Jewish uh, like minister rabbi. We met his wife. I know we met her, but I feel like he was a new. I believe you could see him having dinner at the table after she bared herself to. Welcome to the Fargon Conclusion podcast, covering every episode of the FX TV show Fargo. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Cody, and this week we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 5, The Six Ungraspables. Now, Cody, I have a question for you. How would How would you be entertaining yourself if you were locked in a pantry? I mean, entertainment is bleak. Um, but... <laughs> There is the question of that he poses of where do you need what do you do if you need to use the rest the bathroom? Didn't he say like didn't he ask uh, if you need to poo or am I just? I don't think he says poo, but <laughs> okay. that would have been funny. <laughs> that sounds like a Don Chump thing. Entertainment wise, at least you'd have snacks. You know, so there's that to look forward to. Yeah. Is the light on in there? Can you read the boxes of things, or are you just... Yeah, there you go. See, now you're thinking. Get all up to date on figuring out what aspartame is and niacin. If you have um, any, like, kid cereal, there might be some puzzles. Puzzles. Mazes. Something on the box. Yep. Word scramble, probably. Uh, Maybe it's Cracker Jacks. He says, what if I gotta go to the toilet? There it is. (laughs) And then uh, he says, you're a smart guy. You'll figure something out. And then he just mm-hmm. says, poop. Oh, there you go. Okay, so he does say poop. I was wrong. <laughs> but it isn't Darn poo. It. I... Okay. You missed a P. Probably like he did. <laughs> All right. So Ooh, for gotcha. the episode details this week, the this episode aired May 13th, 2014. Do you want to guess who wrote this episode? If I had to venture a guess, it was, pro- it was probably Noah Hawley. That is correct. It is Nailed Noah it. Hawley. Um, I know it was really hard. <laughs> hard one there. Um, I'm guessing he's going to write all of them now. This seems pretty, like a pretty consistent pattern. Um, and it was directed by Colin Buxey. Didn't seem to have too much in the way of credits that I recognize, but he did direct um, a handful of episodes of Breaking Bad, Revenge, and Billions. And he's going to direct the next episode of Fargo. And then that's it. No more no more Fargo tenure. So, Is it so far that uh, every director has, ha- has done two episodes in a row? I yeah. think it might be. Yeah, it seems that way. So hmm. it's kind of an interesting setup. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's some practicality to it, so, so that it's more that like they're making a movie themselves of the two episodes they do, as opposed to just coming in one director at a time. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, so it seems like it was more common for episodic TV to really change out the directors, just kind of go with whoever. And then um, Big Little Lies, and I think there's others that have done this before, but this is one I know about more recently. The whole first season was directed by, like, one person. Really? Damn. 
So we're also starting to move into an era where, you know, like a director is going to maybe stick with a whole project instead of just even a couple of episodes. It makes sense, but it's it's a real workload, right? Ten, ten episodes? I have no idea how how that works. <laughs> it makes sense to me that you would want that kind of consistency, and I'm sure they have, like, people working underneath them. Maybe there's, like, a... Like, a few, like, there's a hierarchy of people below you as a director, but, um, so, yeah, it's interesting. We get two, two per, per director at this point. I do like the idea of it. Yeah. Well, and I think it, like, like we mentioned previously, similarly to having an all-new cast for every, every season, it really gives each director a chance to kind of showcase maybe something different like i don't think that the show is the most consistent in terms of its visual style they really like to go go the extra mile with doing something different and weird yeah. that doesn't quite which is good it's not bad um like the filming of the the parable i feel like another director would just let them say that similar to how Billy Bob Thornton delivers a lot of his like monologues and stories instead of actually filming filming that yeah I'll also say that in this episode there's the first for sure well maybe not the first for sure I mean the first noticeable I should say the first notable uh CGI shot pretty soon in the episode where was the CGI shot the shotgun blast from Lauren, where you see the oh, pellet going to. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it was very, like, Matrixy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's a, I, you know, that's definitely, a, you know, a directorial effort, I think. Yeah, I think there's a lot of, like, mini flashbacks for Lester in this episode that are a little bit different than what we've gotten so far. As well as his fever dream too. This is very different now that now that we're bringing up all these points. <laughs> huh. Good job, Colin Buxy. Is that his name? You got it. Called it. All right. I guess uh, now we can get into it even further. Hell yeah. You ready for this shit? I'm ready. So we're opening with a nice grassy field. There's an old version of wildwood wildwood flower playing. And, you know, we're just nice little scrolling through town. Seems like a western intro almost. And uh, we end, in, end in a goofy bu- uh, sock buying scene <laughs> with Lester. I was so confused because I was like, wait a second, how did he get out of the jail cell? And Tom was like, yeah, he got out. And I'm like, no, he didn't. He's still in there. <laughs> I was like, okay, it's a flashback. Yeah. Yeah, they don't really... They don't really lay that on you until this shotgun comes around. And this, I, this is, it's written by the Coen brothers, like the awkwardness and humor in this shot of just, yeah, like the exchange about the price of a pair of mismatched socks. Yeah. It's just so irreverent. It just doesn't make any sense. And to, tr- well, how be much, trying to but How much does the shotgun cost? Do you have any idea? I've never been oh, close man. to got, a, a gun purchase. You'd also have to, We'd also have to factor in inflations, but uh, I will say shotguns are on the, like, especially like a double barrel, because it's a very simple mechanic as opposed to like a lot of more technical guns. It's, Mm -hmm. they're actually pretty cheap. 
like, I'm pretty sure if you really wanted to, you could go buy a double barrel shotgun today for like 100, 150 bucks. Do you think that the shotgun is like most of the $55 that he pays? Yes, certainly. But, I mean, you know, this this sock salesman, he knows how to upsell, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> okay, uh, on, on the internet, <laughs> Google, mm-hmm. uh, it says that a typical single-barrel shotgun costs between $179 and $525. So, that's even a... Hmm. 55 feels like a steal. Plus, I know he's getting this a double-barrel. Yeah, um, and I know this is... <laughs> There is inflation involved, but still, like, not that 2006. much. Since... That's not but, that far back. But gun shops also do sell used guns. Okay. So, it's probably just... Honestly, this sock salesman just took... If I had to guess, he probably just took Lester for an idiot. And he was just like, you know what? This goofus who's trying to buy mismatched socks, I could probably upsell him to buy this shotgun that I don't want in my store anymore. <laughs> That's true, yeah. But I mean, I think that's a good deal on both items. Sure, sure. Now yeah, that I mean, I've Googled this, because I was thinking if like a shotgun would be like $50 and he paid $5 for the socks, that seems like too much. I know when I socks. bought my pistol, I went in to buy, like I went in there and they tried to show me a shotgun for I think 120 bucks, but it wasn't like a used, just, yeah, you know, piece of crap shotgun. Anyway. So, <laughs> so he buys the socks and uh, another purchase. And uh, when when he gets home, Pearl, of course, antagoni- antagonizes him for buying the shotgun. And she has a laundry basket in her hand, which I think is just kind of a great set piece to throw in there. Yeah. Has a good quote of, if anyone can shoot themselves with an unloaded firearm, it's you. I am now, that feels like a Chekhov's gun to the face like, <laughs> moment. I, I'm guessing it's not going to be so on the nose, but I'm... Yeah. And then he and drops it's... it, like, a minute later. Mm-hmm. Just like, oh my goodness. Less, maybe you do deserve to be talked down to. <laughs> like... A little bit. A little bit. Thank God it's not loaded. <laughs> but yeah, he's, you know, he decides to put it on top of the china cabinet, and yeah, immediately just drops it and Pearl yells at him again. And, um, this, yeah, this is another cool shot where we, we just get to see the gun flash from him first putting it up there and not moving until the day of um, him taking it down after murdering his wife. Um, but, yeah, that's a cool shot. And then we get, you know, Lester rehearsing it. I was actually curious about this next sequence of events because Lester rehearses opening the door to shoot Lauren and hiding the gun in the restroom. Do we see that already? In the first episode? Yeah, we do. But we don't see Lauren pick up the gun from the bathroom, I don't think, right? No. Okay. It only fills in a little bit. Yeah. Okay, so it is summary use, but we do see Lauren pick up the gun, and then we get the CGI Matrix shot of a pellet going through Vern and then into Lester's hand. Cool. The idea yeah, of something cool. going through someone else's body and then getting stuck in your body sounds really terrible. And then you don't do anything about it for weeks? <laughs> I am still a little bit bummed, or I guess I'm a little bit bummed at this point that he got medical attention and he didn't have to, like, cut his hand off and get, like, a little hook for a hand. You wanted a Jamie Lannister Lester? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> or Buster, Buster Bluth, <laughs> either <Yeah>. way. <laughs> you know, I'll go, I'll go Jamie Lannister. Yeah. 
I'll take that. And uh, we get the cut to, you know, the end all be all of neck of the last episode where Lester is sitting very unhappily in between wrench and numbers in a holding cell. Um, do you think that Wrench and Numbers had planned their bar brawl? I think we might have talked about this a little bit on the last episode, but do you think they planned the bar brawl to get in the, into the holding cell with Lester? Yes. Um, I think it's possible that it was just Numbers that, like, had the plan initially, mm. though, because he kind of walks up to him and, and goes for it. But it's, it's possible that they coordinated it beforehand. But we talked about how it seemed like there probably was some tension and frustration between them. Mm-hmm. So that wasn't, like, wasn't all fake. They're, they were really going off of some real emotions. <laughs> yeah. But I do think, I think they they planned it. And probably after seeing Lester do that, they're like, oh, great idea. Yeah, but I could also see what you're saying about, um, you know, Numbers is a little bit more meticulous about how he's doing things, whereas Wrench seems like he is very reactionary and so he probably he could have totally thought in the moment oh what if i go to jail and if i and you know if i threaten wrench he'll will get you know we'll beat the shit out of each other end up with lester yeah i mean i could (laughs) my thought is that he walked into that bar and was like i have a good idea i also really want to punch wrench like and he was like oh perfect one other quick thing is maybe we i it's been a, it's been about a week or so or more since we did the last episode, so I hope we're not retracking old things. But you scared. I remember you you not scared me, but you, I you surprised me. I should say with the fact that we hadn't heard Lord Malvo's name until Gus Grimley said it, which so, I just assumed we knew his name. Do you do we already know Wrench and Numbers' name in this? I don't know. I think also too because some of it could possibly be coming through. Uh, sign language that I might have forgotten. Hmm. But I I don't know that anybody knows their names. But when um, when Lester tells him that it's he says Lauren's name we don't like we don't see him saying that to Lester at any point. Yeah. So I have like I'm curious how he how he knows that name. And we actually when that came up Tom like, I was like, how does he know that? Tom's like, well, he said it in this episode, in the first episode. Like, no, he doesn't say his name. I do a podcast. I know <laughs> what is going on here. But he made me go back to the first episode, and we went to, like, three different scenes. Maybe and... we saw him sign it in the ledger at the hotel, but maybe not. I don't know. Well, this is all he... semantics, though. <laughs> we see, in the last episode, we see the ledger from the hotel. Yeah. So we see that then. But I think maybe... Molly has the name of Lorne when she goes to intimidate him. Yeah, no, no, not not no. at the insurance office because that's before she interviews the uh, hotel oh, staff. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know how he knows that information. Maybe it they had a longer conversation somewhere that we didn't see. Yeah, let's let's just let's just move past it. We're getting the goofy semantics. Anyway, their names are wrenching numbers. Fuck you. How about that, listener? Yeah, I mean, we're going off of what it says on IMDb regardless. Um, just because anyway, yeah. I am the IMDb person, uh, and we can't keep that spoiler free. <laughs> so anyway, so yeah, he's so he's sitting in the middle of them. 
And uh, Lester, as the guard walks away, Lester starts stammering his way through, reasoning with them. And uh, Wrench, he blocks the door, and I think he blocks the guard's view. And he starts removing his sock, and um, Numbers I starts questioning. Okay. I was ramping up to being really grossed out by what he was going to do with that sock. <laughs> I was very grossed out by what he was going to do It's pretty gross. <laughs> but you were expecting something worse. <laughs> I don't know. That that was like, that was the worst thing I could think of that could happen. I was like, <laughs> oh man, that, that would be terrible. Like, I don't know, Tom's like, do you think that yeah. could be something worse? Like, no, that sounds disgusting. Now that you say that, yes. He's basically doing the Mr. Sacco from Mankind in the WWF. You're not going to get that reference. No. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so yeah. So Mr. Numbers says to Lester, he says, you said him. You said it was him, not you, him. And you said it like you had a face in mind. Lester's still stammering, at which point uh, Lester starts screaming as Numbers presses his infected hand and wrench stuffs the uh, sock in Lester's mouth to muffle him. Which, I, oh man, have you ever had, like, an infection like that where you just, you, even if you just touch it, it's, like, immense immense pain? I don't think to that extent, but there definitely have been whatever, like, wounds on my body where, like, just touching them lightly, like, hurts pretty bad. So I can imagine, like, passing out from... Horrific, yeah. From something like that. I remember when uh, my buddy Justin had MRSA, which is medical resistance uh, staph infection. And it's the second time that Merce has gotten a shout-out on this podcast. Are you serious? Did we talk about this already? At, at least in one of our recordings, maybe. It's okay, never mind. We don't have to talk about it. I'll cut that out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, Lester, after he stops pressing on his hand, Lester's not literally delirious from the pain. And um, before, <laughs> before pressing his hand again, Lester immediately gives up Lorne. He just says Malvo, I think. I would immediately give up. That I would do it like when the guy just like touched, like just lightly touched. I'd be like, okay, you got yeah, me. Seriously, I've I've thought of it like watching torture scenes in movies and TV shows. Like you can like if you take a if I'm in a chair or you know like when somebody's like bound to a chair and they're like I'll never tell you and then like they start doing whatever to you that the torturer is going to do if the torturer took a step towards me i'd be like okay listen here's my social security number what do you need i just i'll tell you my i'll tell you where my mother is go murder her (laughs) yeah i was uh, one of instances of torture that kind of haunts me is this movie with jesse eisenberg i cannot remember the name of it but it's like a a world war ii movie and yeah he's like a mime uh, who is somehow helping kids escape from the Nazis. <laughs> but, like, this woman it has to watch her sister being flayed. Oh, God. If, in order to give up the location of the, you know, Jesse Eisenberg and co. that are trying to kind of resist and help people get out. And she doesn't give that information up and you know i think it's easier to be like okay yeah sure just you know end things for me whatever like but (laughs) i feel like it would be tough you want to like protect other people and yeah it it would be much worse like oh god breaking bad that thing with jesse and what's her face we're not gonna spoil breaking bad i guess you know i don't remember that i haven't i i gave up on breaking bad because i took like a break and then i couldn't remember where i left off and 
Well, Tiffany, it's been a great, it's been a lot of fun doing this podcast with you. I'm sorry (laughs) it has to end, uh, but it's been fun, and I wish you the best in life. I'm never going to speak with you again. One day, I will let somebody tell me what happened in Breaking Bad. Also, the movie you were talking about is Life is Beautiful, starring Jesse Eisenberg as Roberto Benigni. Sure. That's a really bad joke. It's a really bad joke. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm angry at you now. I'm flustered. And, um, oh, and there's this really weird quote, uh, while Lester's trying to, I mean, vaguely trying to gather himself, where, uh, Numbers says to him, eventually you'll swallow your tongue and you'll die like a fish. Like, I think as Lester's fighting off passing out. Mm-hmm. What, what, does it mean just because he'll asphyxiate? I guess, yeah. He'll die like Maybe. a fish. Well, his... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Maybe he just thought quote. it sounded cool in the moment. It does sound cool. That's right. That would have been great if Lester was like, wait a second, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, Yeah. <laughs> hold on. And, Before I pass and, out, explain yourself. And Numbers actually does a finger spell in American Sign Language. Uh, M-A-L-V-O to wrench. I got excited when I watched this this week because I was like, oh, I read that with my face and my eyes. <laughs> and uh, Lester says he's going to throw up. Number says that if he does throw up, he'll actually kill him. But if he does, and asks for a location. And uh, Lester, at this point, is he's giving up all the information. He says, he took my car. He, uh, they told me it was impounded in Duluth. He's still there. Law enforcement has a picture from an APB. He literally gives them all the information he knows about Lorne Malvo, which is, you know, super cool of him. Also, like, I mean, he doesn't really have any personal attachment to Lorne. He doesn't know him in any way. He's been made uncomfortable by Lorne at best. True, but at the same time, he's literally giving, he's like, hey, here's all the information you need about the Terminator. Well, I'm not saying that he should just give up all this information, but he doesn't have any reason not to. True. You're right. Like, even, you know, like, okay, so maybe Lester doesn't have to deal with his high school bully anymore, but it seems like (laughs) he didn't have to deal with him on a daily basis anyway. Mm Mm-hmm. And... Especially now that his wife's been murdered. His wife being murdered definitely is a difference a potential improvement but it also comes with molly being on his ass is as like a police officer not in a wife nagging way like that (laughs) that's way more stressful than yep pearl being an asshole to him so he i don't know it doesn't it's not like he really benefited so i don't know why he wouldn't just give him up yeah you're right I'm siding with you now. He also, like, kind of forced him into it. He was like, no, I don't want, like, I don't want you to do that. He's like, well, you didn't say, you didn't answer, like, one way or the other. (laughs) So I'm just going to do it. And, you know, I think if (laughs) Lester had a little bit more time in that moment, he would have said, no, this is not what I want. So. Yeah. You could even see, maybe say that he's a little resentful of Lorne for putting him in this situation. Yeah, that's true, huh? Might even blame Lorne for Pearl's death, even though that was not Lorne's fault. (laughs) 
and it was deserved. And um, after after he gives up all this information about Lorne, uh, Gary Valentine casually strolls in as if he's not Kevin James's brother. Uh, numbers and Wrench are bailed out, and but they <laughs> he asks at first, you know, what if we want to stay? <laughs> but um, you know, they they end up being bailed out, and Numbers offers some medical advice as they leave, and Lester immediately throws up. Yeah. <laughs> I like how yeah. he like tells him not to throw up multiple times too. Yeah. He's just like, don't do it. <laughs> I you would do it, be... I'll actually kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely struggle if someone was like, you can't throw up if I felt nauseous. Oh man. Well, yeah, what do you do? I feel like it would make me throw up. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, exactly. It's like, uh, you know, when some. Well, no. What's the. Uh... Oh, shoot. It's not what somebody telling you not to sneeze what's the other thing i don't know it's just like don't think of a chicken yeah you're gonna think of a chicken <laughs> um and we cut to molly your your girl molly Molly. and she's terribly folding a sweater while watching a show about predator snakes i mean it bothers me because you know she leaves the scene you know i think she says I think it's a parallel with the later scene with Gus, where both of them decide they can't do what they're doing at home and have to go into go into work. And uh, but seriously, she's trying to fold the sweater. I don't know if you caught this, but I've just watched it being like, "What the fuck are you doing with that piece of clothing?" I even I'm a man. I know how to fold a sweater. <laughs> I didn't notice her her folding. <laughs> it offended me. I think that it's probably a better method that you don't know about. Because you mean Molly... just shaking it violently after folding it, and then anyway, let's let's move past it. <laughs> um, Chief is real. And she goes into the station, and Chief is real busy with the snowstorm. Thank God Vanna White is there to help him. <laughs> and Molly very rudely speaks to the chief during his important conversation about the weather, on the phone. sits down, and uh, she tries to tell the chief about the phone records, the motor in, and the manager hosting Malvo. But Bill is more concerned about. Oh, and yeah, and so he finally gets off the phone, and actually listens to Molly while also paying attention to the uh, deputy beside him dealing with the snowstorm. But as she's as she's trying to tell him all this information, Bill is <laughs> he's more concerned about which Lorraine, if it's the Lorraine that he knows who is running the motel. <laughs> yeah, he also mentions. Um getting uh, snow plows up to the chief's drive every few hours, which I think is interesting that he is still <laughs> referring to Vern as the chief. Oh, um, is he talking about Vern's, or is he talking about his drive? Uh, well, he says, make sure they're plowing the chief's drive every few hours. Can't have Ida going into labor under a snowbound scenario. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes. So... Yeah, because I definitely thought he was referring to himself in the third person <laughs> first. But, um, but yeah, it's also, like, it's nice that he's thinking about that, but it also feels like he he's the type of person who'd rather think about, like, doing these nice gestures for people in the community versus actually being a police chief. Yeah. Like doing any type of work that's actually related to policing he's like no thank you um i don't worry about snow plows yeah but th but thank god this is uh, finally the point in which 
you know, after them bickering about what Lorraine she's talking about, Bill is finally start. He he finally starts to paying. He's hold on. <laughs> Let me take that sentence again. <laughs> Bill finally starts paying attention to Molly making fucking sense. You know. Yeah. And, I was um, so surprised. I was really expecting him to just shut her down again, and I was getting ready for that more frustration and disappointment. And then he actually starts looking at her like, "Wait a second, you're making sense." Like, <laughs> like yes, yes, we've got it finally. Yeah, because I think I think she I think she words it out perfectly to him, where she frames it as if she's still looking for the person who. Or, you know, who had the guy in the trunk, but she's saying, but also Lester called this guy who I'm looking for, you know, the suspect who had the guy in the trunk, Lester called him that night, you know? Yeah. And uh, basically her, um, what is it? She, uh, hold on, hold on. Her current idea is that Lester hires Malvo to murder Hess. Afterwards, Lester doesn't have the money to pay Lorne, so Lorne comes to Lester's and causes the scene there. You know, which which is, is a pretty terrible. good sequence of events. Yeah, it yeah. totally makes sense. <laughs> and uh, Molly asks permission to go see Lester at his house, but the chief reveals that Lester is in holding. Actually, it's convenient. <laughs> Very much so. If you know, <laughs> if Lester wasn't in the physical condition he was right now, this would be, you know. This case might have been solved a lot quicker if he didn't have that damn pellet. <laughs> and we cut to a really cool scene. I like I always like Gus and his daughter interacting. Gus asks his daughter's permission to use his computer, but he has no idea how to turn it on because he's a goddamn dweeb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in 2006, it is pretty common for an adult person to... You're like, a teenager, come here, show me how to use the internet. Yeah. But, you know, also, it's still just, it is funny. like, watch. when he types, or when she types in uh, Lorne Malvo and mm-hmm. nothing comes up, I was like, maybe in 2006 that's true. Yeah, but same But no way. way is some, like, any t- any type of name like that yeah, some, not some going to Some awful Facebook yield... page <laughs> where yeah. the word Malvo and the word Lorne at the same time are on the page. <laughs> Yeah, and the, the pastor's page is, in, you know, it's very 2006 as well. The Photoshop. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Billy Bob Thornton has kind of like a large head and a smaller body in general. Like, he's very lanky, but his head, like, so it doesn't, it, it looks a little bit off to me. But then with the Photoshop, it's like, oh, that, that seems odd. I'm not. yeah. <laughs> Like, it does really feel like someone just uh, photoshopped his head on someone else's body. But you also kind of got to think about it from a 2006 person's perspective. If you saw that in photo, like, you did you know what Photoshop looked like in 2006? I didn't use Photoshop in 2006, but I had a Photoshop software. Oh, shit. I'm telling the government. <laughs> I was not good at photo manipulation to that extent, though. I still am not. Damn it. I also like how Gus kind of runs through his version, or, you know, his side of what uh, Lauren did, just kind of quickly, in front of his daughter, which I know he he did already tell her that he chickened out on the night of pulling over Lauren, right? 
I don't know if he like went into a lot of detail about it, but I think he kind of vaguely described it. Okay. Like that he did something that he wasn't proud of, and it was like, you know, he should have followed up on something with someone. I don't know. I think that's. Okay. And then yeah, at the end there, he kind of wonders why Lauren was on that street in particular on foot. And we cut to uh, Lauren with his super cool arms dealer. I'll call him an arms dealer. I don't know what else to call him. <laughs> a person with a van? Yeah, just a guy with a really cool van. How about that? <laughs> his whole electronic setup was wild. <laughs> He, like, went to Best Buy and was like, how can we recreate this setup? <laughs> yeah, which this side of the van is interesting, because not much, it's not much of, as much of illegal stuff as the back of the van is. Right? I mean, okay, though, like, if I was buying something illegal out of a van, I don't think that I would care about having displays. I think that I would rather see that the van is filled with shit. Hmm. Well, I don't know, maybe he's just, he's, he's like a really classy salesman who just wants, he, he's more for presentation than others. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so first thing he asks for is a police scanner, and the guy reveals he has a pink police scanner if you want one. Would you go for the pink? Uh, yes. No, I don't know. I would, though, personally. Th uh, this next thing might also be my favorite, favorite interaction from the show is Lauren needs a walkie-talkie, but they only come in pairs. And I just, I love the line of, you know, the guy saying, hey, maybe you could make a friend and give one to him. Yeah, <laughs> Lauren, he says they come in pairs, you know, so you can chat with a friend. I don't have any friends. It's a sad story. <laughs> I still gotta sell you two. Maybe you could make a friend and give it to him. <laughs> Read Lauren's response, too. Oh yeah, maybe I could <laughs> give it to you, call you up late at night, and you can listen to me shit on people. <laughs> That's just fun. That's just fun. Yeah. And just the looks, the look of the of the uh, dealer guy afterwards was just like being like, ugh. <laughs> and hey, we're going to Philadelphia for Don Chump afterwards. Mm, yep. Lauren, Lauren goes to see the trainer, and uh, Don's asking a lot of questions as Lauren kind of comes in uninvited. <laughs> That would and be the uh, red flag for me. Well, yeah, but you're a normal person who has That's sense. true. <laughs> I'm not looking to uh, open a Turkish bath under whatever With circumstances I can make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lauren tells him not to talk and they make it called Stavros, who's in great condition, don't you think? Sweating, grinding his teeth and just eating. Have you ever, have you ever tried, have you ever done Adderall? I mean, Once. have you ever, have you ever allegedly done Adderall? When I was in high school, I did it. Yeah. Like one night, but it was like not not a significant amount. We had a couple of house shows where a certain band would come over and play at our house show, and they always had Adderall on hand, and they'd just be like, "You want to snort one?" And I was like, "Sure." <laughs> and um, it kind of worried me that I might have the symptoms of what it's supposed to cure because I, I would definitely be grinding my teeth and paying good attention but it also calmed me down like mm, it took away my anxiety so I was like oh shit am I supposed to be on Adderall but I never asked for a prescription well isn't I think it's supposed to have an opposite effect on you if you don't have ADHD 
Isn't that right? Or no? Yeah, yeah. It's supposed to lay. It's it's basically meth is the thing, and that's what that, that's what Stavros is exhibiting is symptoms of meth. <laughs> Lorne is he's very passive about what's going on, but he's very manipulative in the conversation. And Stavros explains the plagues being the same as the book as from the book of Exodus. And he's afraid for his firstborn son, Dimitri. And Lorne, you know, tries to vaguely tries to change his mind, but not really. And um, I think is it the, is it in this conversation that he says Dimitri uh, his bodyguard and Dimitri are going to a cabin, I think? Yeah, he says, uh, I told Semenko to take Dimitri someplace safe until this all blows over. I think they mention more about it later when he's at his office. And he also asks if Lauren thinks he's crazy, doesn't he? Because there's also that cool quote, we're only as good as the promises we keep, is what Lauren says. Because uh, Stavros also mentions, mentions the promise that he broke regarding the suitcase. Feeling real guilty about that. <laughs> yeah, Stavros is going to pay the debt, or pay the uh, ransom, rather. And as they hang up, you know, Don's ecstatic about it. And uh, <laughs> I think he asks if, he's, if he can roll around in the million dollars that they're going to get. Yeah, he asks, like, <laughs> does it fit into a suitcase or a sack? Uh, or something. It's got to be pretty heavy, right? Can I lay in it? <laughs> Always like that part of the movies where characters, they just lie in a big pile. Uh, and then they always take the money and they just like throw it up in the air. Just like flutters down on top of them, you know? <laughs> have you seen it? Have you seen a million dollars in real, like in real life? Like how big it is? No, I don't think so. It's is like it disappointing. I'm to, yeah. I'm trying to think of what to compare it to. Like, maybe if you really splayed it out, it'd be nice. Like, all individual yeah. bills. But it really it, It's about the size of, like, a small suitcase. If it was like, in... Oh. If, is that in $100 bills? Yeah. See, I would want it in ones. Oh, my God. <laughs> or <laughs> That'd get, be a lot. <laughs> get $10 bills, because those are less common. So yeah. just, like, force people to give me all of their $10 bills and create a $10 bill shortage would be nice and yeah like who you know you know nobody's ever gonna even if you made like man well we're not gonna talk about making counterfeiting money but who's gonna take a ten dollar bill even if you made fake ten dollar bills anyway (laughs) i i made i made a ten (laughs) dollar when when did you do it in high school when i was a guy allegedly say allegedly allegedly (laughs) what'd you spend it on we went to a fair and it worked on one person and then it didn't work on the next and they were like this like we kind of got in trouble but not really like it was more of a <laughs> uh like a warning type thing but a pretty serious warning really like they so, they took you in no the like the person working that booth was just like hey this is like like, I'm not just, like, letting this go easily, I guess. Really? Like, it just really impressed upon us the the importance of it, so. Wow. Was it, wait, was it just, like, a cashier, or was it, like, a security officer or something? It was just a person running a booth at the fair, which, oh. you know, I was in high school, but now I feel kind of <laughs> crappy about all of this. Oh, fuck them. Who, it's, who cares? <laughs> eh. <laughs> 
you know, I had, you know I had a friend probably literally no joke in 2006 who had like a computer just hooked up to just a, you know a printer that what neither connected to the internet but he got he scanned an image of a five dollar bill on both sides and he would just print out a five dollar bill and use that for his lunch money at school at high school in oh, high school I bet that would work in high school, school every day yeah every yeah, day he wow. would just get yeah I don't I don't think he ever used it for any other purpose, but that's what he did. Well, that's one way to get free school lunches. Yeah, he was. <laughs> it is kind of sad because his family was pretty poor, so it was like that was his hustle. Was I get a free chicken sandwich every day and a cookie? <laughs> Look, I mean, it's it was expensive to get food at yeah. school. I mean, and I know that we did have a free lunch program, like. We had the regular like cafeteria you could get stuff but i never went over there so yeah. i don't know maybe i could have gotten free lunches but that, anyway. what's funny is that guy's actually like he's grad since then he's graduated from college and he has like a nice job now so it's like he wasn't he wasn't you know he was a poor kid who just like he didn't go down the wrong road he was just like i need free lunch so i'm gonna print out these five dollar bills but also get good grades and get the degree to help me out <laughs> anyway Congratulations yeah. to him. So Lauren asks Don Chump if he has some, uh, if he has a power drill and some screws. Is there any dialogue you'd like to read from this scene? He asks him for something that, like, a closet that locks. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, I've never seen a closet that locks. Have you? I think I, I think my mom has, what, two? Yeah, they're, they're not, it's not too far out there. But also, just, why, why even bother with the closet that locks if he's going to literally, you know, <laughs> board him into it? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, with a pantry especially, like, there's really not a reason to have a lock on a pantry. Um, no. So, that was confusing to me, and then, yeah, he does uh, just drill right into it, which I'm thinking is, I mean, I don't know. I feel like he really didn't need to didn't need to have something that locks but he figured it out and he asked for wood screws he starts talking about what he's gonna get real marble for the spa and french lotions that smell like sunflowers (laughs) sounds lovely and oh well you know he's getting him the screws he needs longer screws and i think he's like already in the already in there oh please yeah, he says please please step in yeah and he's still talking while while lester starts uh, screwing the door shut <laughs> yeah he starts asking him like what what is he gonna do with his share of the money and then like did you mean to lock <laughs> me in here which is the dumbest question ever i mean come on yeah and lauren <laughs> tells him i don't want you getting cold feet i'll see you in the morning no no wait hold on now heck i'm which is just a nice little heck. Yeah. Um and then the instance of telling him telling him that he'll figure something out to go to the toilet. Which I don't <laughs> I wouldn't expect this character to figure anything out, but a corner or maybe like there's a bag in there maybe that he, like a bag of chips that he could empty out kind of seal up afterwards so it doesn't smell too bad. There's ways Life finds a way. Isn't that the quote from uh, that one movie poster? (laughs) Lester's cell 
Yeah. Or he's hallucinating about uh I think he's he's talking about the socks, isn't he? And, yeah, uh, I have meeting the, Melvo. the dialogue here. It's not my fault. You bought me the tie. It's pretty much a mishmash, right? Yeah. Um, it's the towel sound. She's washing towels. Socks. What about socks? For $55, he threw in the shotgun. I don't understand where you shot. Yeah, and maybe. she asks if he paid... If if he paid Lauren Malvo to kill Sam Hess, and he says he didn't pay. In the ambulance, and... right? On the way there. Oh, yeah. yeah. We, we, we end up with Molly in the ambulance, and there's Molly, in, and it's just Molly and an EMT, as I remember, on either side of Lester. And Lester's babbling these things. But Molly decides to start asking questions, which is, I mean, you know, it's inadmissible in court, but. It's smart of her to just at least get get something out of him at this point. But yeah, so at this point, it's, I mean, it seems like he he's making it seem like he was supposed to pay and that there was supposed to be some kind of transaction. So she's still probably thinking that that's along those lines. Yeah, like it corroborates what she was, what she had already thought. You know, I think the final question is, uh, what is her? What's her final question in there before? Because at one point they get to the hospital and the EMTs have to wheel him inside, and I don't think she gets an answer out of him. But she does ask a final question there. What was it? She says, "I never paid. I didn't pay. Yeah, okay, but arrangements were made." And then, I don't know. You tell me things went south. Yeah, I don't really see yeah. like a direct question. But she's just trying to get as much information out of him as but possible. But she is, she's really focused on the money aspect mm-hmm. is what I feel like is, is happening there. She's trying to figure out what happens after that. And um, after afterwards, Wrench and Numbers were, uh, are just sitting in a car and they get a, I think it's Molly's police report from some officer on the uh, Bemidji payroll and their payroll apparently, right? <laughs> yeah. It has the picture of Lauren in it. So that's nice to know that there's a dirty cops on on chief bills yeah staff yeah that's a little concerning i don't know if that's <laughs> going to come up or if that's just like a reality of the situation they didn't show the cop's face wonder what that means huh mm. Mm. i thought that they showed showed them like briefly but did they maybe, maybe they did so all right gus is up late at night and he's drinking some milk at the table do you drink milk at night ever? I don't drink milk ever. No? When was the last time you drank milk? I don't know if I've ever consumed milk. Uh, Cereal? Out at, like, well, outside of, um, like, as a drink. I don't think I've ever... Really? Chocolate milk, I guess. There you go. So okay. if, there, if there's chocolate in it, but not strawberry and certainly not regular milk. I hope I didn't bring this podcast up already, but there's a podcast I listen to called Are You Garbage, where they just kind of ask questions, deciding whether or not it's a garbage thing, and one of the things is, uh, did you drink milk with dinner growing up? Because one of the hosts will, like, drink milk and, like, have, like, lasagna for dinner, and that's, like, normal Mm. to him, and I mean, I wouldn't do that, (laughs) but I'll drink milk. Yeah, I feel like (laughs) I've heard a little bit more recently about people bringing up the like propaganda of the the 90s and milk and how how <laughs> big it was for commercials to try to tell you that milk is 
how your your bones get stronger. Mm-hmm. Like you'll like literally commercials that imply that if you don't drink milk, you'll die. Yeah, your bones do- will disintegrate. Milk does a body good. That was one of the slogans. And then you know, got milk. Of course, you remember that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I don't remember what year it was, but it was a long time ago where I saw this like web video somewhere that was like created by milk some milk company but i don't think it was under (laughs) the got milk campaign that was very much like um like a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy-esque story about like like getting cows from space and like different things about the milk and i just want to find this so badly but it's (laughs) i can't it's not it doesn't seem out there on the internet anywhere i keep looking up space cows and like it's not it's not coming to me but it i'm sure i just have such a vivid memory of it and it's really frustrating that i can't find it there were yeah i mean you're right in saying that there were so many like there's such a big push for milk in the 90s that there there were so many advertisements I bet if you just typed in milk advertisement, maybe if you watched, like, 90 hours of them, you'd find it. Yeah, maybe. Um, I gotta maybe use, like, some more specific Googling techniques to find it. It's Um, creepy how they do it. Anyway. (laughs) But, yeah, I, I don't think... I don't like milk as a drink. My dad doesn't really drink, like... Drinks, like, beer and coffee and then like like a true american the other yeah like he'll just pour a glass of milk and then like sit there with it over the counter and i'm like i i don't understand that's a real american it's not appealing to me at all do you ever see your dad just drink a glass of water never i can't recall (laughs) any instance of this like maybe like to take some aspirin or something. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's like they or... pour the rest out afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of a single time. Yeah, my mom came to me recently and she was like, yeah, my doctor told me to start drinking water. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> drink water. <laughs> and she was like, she, now like every like every time I see her, she'd be like, I, yeah, I've been drinking water recently. I'm like, how much? She's like, look at this bottle. It's like a Dizani bottle. It's like, three fourths full and she's like look i'm drinking water and like drink the whole thing she's like well i'm i'm going to and then she'll set it down and <laughs> then she goes and drinks a diet coke anyway um was there milk in this gus is drinking milk at <laughs> okay. night sorry let's let's get back to this so gus is drinking milk and the man across the across what i guess that's a two separate apartment buildings Right. It's the same. It's the same apartment building, but it looks like it's. It's like um, a U shape. Yeah, it's okay. like a U shape, but it looks so much closer when they're doing the shots inside the apartments than <laughs> when you actually see them out. Like I really thought they were five feet apart <laughs> when I first saw that. Like and that, that seemed absolutely absurd. Um, yeah. So. But you know. Yeah. So maybe they. It's so they both wave and they open their windows. And the guy, the guy is just, what does he just, he starts the conversation by saying, two kids. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, not hello or whatever, but, you know, classic awkward conversation from one of these shows. And uh, they end up, he ends up coming over to Gus's apartment. 
they think they they share they they share they he pours him a glass of milk so they're both drinking milk i think at this point or milk would you want to read the parable or is it too long oh i can read the parable i just want to say that he talks about how he doesn't complain about a lot of different things but it does certainly sound like he's complaining about it (laughs) um and then Gus has, he says he has a question of an ethical nature. He's trying to get some advice. But really, I guess at the end of the day, he thinks he's not, like, enough of a detective to make a difference here. Like, to actually do it well. And then he says, I'm no, so he says, I'm no detective. I mean, Molly, she's amazing. And just the, like, little light in his eyes, like, yes, recognize my girl Molly, um, just mm-hmm. had to really throw that out there, make it clear. Yep. Okay. He's not wrong either. <laughs> How much better? Um, okay. So the parable. Shows. Yeah. So the parable: a rich man opens the paper one day. He sees the world is full of misery. He says, "I have, I have money. I can help." So he gives away all of his money, but it's not enough. The people are still suffering. One day, the man sees another article. He decides he was foolish to think just giving money giving money was enough. So he goes to the doctor and says, Doctor, I want to donate a kidney. The doctors do the surgery. It's a complete success after he knows he should feel good, but he doesn't, for people are still suffering. So he goes back to the doctor. He says, Doctor, this time I want to give it all. The doctor says, What does that mean, give it all? He says, This time I want to donate my liver but not just my liver. I want to donate my heart, but not just my heart. I want to donate my corneas, but not just my corneas. I want to give it all away. Everything I am, all that I have. The doctors say a kidney is one thing, but you can't give away your whole body piece by piece. That's suicide. And he sends the man home, but the man cannot live knowing that people are suffering and he could help. So he gives the one thing he has left, his life. And then I think this is where Gus asks him, and does it work? Does it stop the suffering? (laughs) And he says, you live in the world, what do you think? He says, so he killed himself for nothing? Did he? So. Only a fool thinks he can solve the world's problems. Which is a great Uh quote. Yeah, but you gotta try, don't you? Mm Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I love this scene. Yeah, I think it's done It's done really well, and I think that the way that it kind of lightly informs... I mean, I don't know, though. Like, does does Gus take away from this that he should try just a little? Does he just, like, recognize, oh, I have it in my capacity to do this one small thing, and so I should do it? I think it gives him pause to, like... Because, you know, the. I mean, the reason he didn't uh, pursue... Lauren that night was because of his love for his daughter and his need to take care of his daughter but at the same time he feels such an urge to give this investigation his all but at the same time he's literally chasing down a monster that there be dragons here right yeah <laughs> so it's I don't know it's I, I think Gus is stuck in a you know he's stuck in between wanting to do the best job he can and being in staying away from it and raising his daughter in the best way he can 
because he knows it's life threatening. And I think it, yeah. I think it, you know, it just it's he's stuck in a weird, goofy conundrum, and it leads kind of into the next scene where he's lying in bed, tossing and turning, and it parallels the earlier scene of Molly, you know, folding the the sweat the the sweater terribly, and her her saying no and going into the office. He stands up out of bed and goes to work. Yeah. I don't know. I love this show. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, and then I think next up is Stavros. He goes into his office at the store, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so Lorne... uh, Does Lorne meet him there? I think, yeah. Regardless, they end up at the, uh, you know, Supermarket King's Supermarket. And he goes and gets the suitcase from the Fargo movie. (laughs) And uh, packs it full of the, the million dollars, which I guess that's I, I, that's I was about curious how much if that was, was the um, <laughs> if that was the same suitcase. It looked like it was in pretty good condition for having been buried in the snow and then preserved for <laughs> twenty years or something. Yeah, supposedly that is the suitcase. Okay, from what I read, and um, yeah, that's about how big a million dollars is, and so. <clears throat> And so they end up driving, you know, Lauren is driving and Stavros is in the back with the money. And, um, I think he leaves Lauren out front. Lauren keeps it running. And Dimitri shows, is Dimitri, I don't think Dimitri's with them in the SUV, is he? He just shows up at the store. He's already at the store. It seems like he's working his shift. Oh, and then right. he goes to talk to his dad while he's there. Okay, yeah, he has the uniform on, doesn't he? You're right. Yeah. And he tries to explain that the exterminator said all the bugs are the kind you could buy at a pet store. And uh, Stavros is just, he's so, you know, Adderalled out that uh, he just, he doesn't give a shit anymore. He just wants this to end. And uh, Stavros just says to go and clean it all up and then go, oh yeah, he says to go with Semenko, who's the bodyguard, and they're going to a cabin. This is where he says to go to a cabin, I believe. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, packs up all the money. And then we cut to the hospital where, uh, it's Molly. I think Molly's, like, assaulting a vending well, machine. Hold on. <laughs> I need to, um, oh, go ahead. point out that, um, Dimitri calls up these pet stores. Oh, yes. Of his own volition when he finds out that they're supposed to be from pet stores. That's and a smart figures thing. out that they were purchased from different... I mean, I think that the Very Bemidji smart. Police Department needs to hire Dimitri. But or I Duluth. Don't... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If, o- if only Stavros had called the police department instead of Lauren. He could have solved this whole thing. But <laughs> And they would hire Dimitri, and then he, he would... Instead of watching Fargo, we would be watching a show on FX called Dimitri. <laughs> mm, that would be a, a pretty a pretty funny show. Each I feel ep- like they already have that show on, like, uh, UPN or something like that. Each episode. USA. We, UPN? Did you say UPN? <laughs> yeah. When was the last year UPN existed? Probably 2006. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, like, a show, like, where, I don't know, people, like, a, there were so many workplace comedies that came out on, like... USA, UPN, like, around that time. 
each episode he would get a he would get get in one of his awesome jokes. Uh, that'd be good. Yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll we'll start writing some some spec scripts for it. So anyway, yes. So uh, yeah, after Dimitri's excellent detective work, we cut to Molly assaulting a vending machine. So the doctor says she's she's there, you know, just waiting for the report on um, Lester. The doctor comes and says that the hand was super infected, and he had removed the foreign object, drained the fluid, removed the ne- necrotic tissue, so he won't lose the hand, but it came close. And she asks about the foreign object, and he says it's a shotgun pellet that probably passed through something or someone before it went into Lester's hand. Or it might have been the nurse that made... I, the nurse made a joke about it passing through someone, I think. Well, yeah, she says he says that it um, had some fabric attached to it. So. Ah, shit. Ah, shit, So, Lester. yeah. Ah, shit, Lester. I don't know, does that, like... I don't know how much that... implicates... If, if there was... Well, yeah, that's... Well, but, okay, he was in the basement. Yeah. Knocked out. But upstairs is Vern. If they pulled the thing out of his hand and a fabric of Vern's uniform is on the pellet. Can they find out, you think, that the fabric belongs to... I think absolutely. Okay. I mean, it seems like it's all building to this thing being his downfall, but it doesn't seem like it would necessarily mean anything specific. Like... Hmm. Having, I don't know. Having seen it before, but not having watched season one in a while, I just, I I can say that it definitely doesn't help Lester's case. <laughs> yeah, well, and even, I guess, now thinking about it, it's like, Molly, or sorry, not Molly, uh, Pearl was hit in the head with a hammer, like bludgeoned, mm-hmm. and then Lester had a head wound. Mm-hmm. That like how how do you explain someone attacking Lester to give him that kind of head wound? Two different maybe blunt just, objects. Maybe maybe right? pushing him down the stairs or something. Like if he fell. Sure. I don't That's know. And I mean. then and then Vern is uh, is shot. So it like all three of these different assaults that happen on the same night in the house. I think more happen than anything. in very different ways. So you know, mm-hmm. I think Molly is right to be like, "Huh, this doesn't seem right." Yeah. But I don't. So yeah, I guess that would place Les- Lester cl- at least closer to where Vern was shot. Yeah. Than where he ends up in the basement. Exactly. Yeah. It's just another detail that changes Lester's story to make it let you know seem less true. I just seem it just seems like the way everything's already laid out already makes Lester's thing look not true. Oh yeah, certainly. Honestly, the whole I mean, it's it's evidence, but I guess a more discerning detective would probably have been like, wait a second, this this has to be at least two different people, if not like three or yeah. Oh god, it's just a mess. Lester made a mess, and we're all picking up the pieces. (laughs) <laughs> well, and, okay, so, in this scene, the doctor is just telling 
telling Lester, like, or sorry, telling Molly all about what's going gone on with Lester. And that seems like a HIPAA violation to, at the very least, be telling her, like, what happened in the surgery. But maybe because he was in police custody when he was taken in, there's some responsibility of them to... I didn't even think about HIPAA. I mean, I may, but, maybe because it's a, yeah, it's a police thing maybe well and i mean it does seem standard based on only having watched um tv shows about this type of thing and having no real world experience that yeah the the police can get some information about like a shooting they can get like evidence from if like there is a foreign object but i don't know that that actually like if that comes into play but very easily this guy he seems like a very chatty person so maybe he just doesn't give a shit yeah it just seems weird that he is telling her all of the information about what happened as if he as if she's like a family member that's true or something because the doctor obviously also knows who he is wait is the doctor the one who tells him about ida's baby or no is that the next yeah Okay, yeah, see, so I think so. Maybe it's just a, on a personal level, he's just like, hey, you know me, I know you. I'll tell you what I know. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, then she... She goes to Lester's, um, and um, there's a spare key underneath the mat. Um, I, I, I hate every time she has to remember Vern being dead. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> But he still hasn't cleaned up the goddamn blood stain, so she just has to be like, "Yep, there's, there's Vern's blood still just drying on the ground." One thing that's interesting <laughs> is they put a week timeline of, of what's happened in the season so far. Like, yeah, so, someone says that like Lester's had a rough week. Oh really? <laughs> um, Gosh, if the, well. And so that's like not not a whole lot of time. I guess within a week this would make sense, but it would require everybody to be kind of moving with a pace of urgency. But I could see it, you know, if there was a pellet lodged in my hand for a week, I could see it, you know, becoming a festering wound within seven days, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think... I, don't, I forget exactly what where that line is, but I think that maybe at least when he's going to the hospital for his broken nose, mm-hmm. that that's that's a week, and then and then it all goes from there because he's in the hospital like three times. I think that's what's mentioned somewhere. <laughs> he just keeps going to the hospital. <laughs> that's pretty funny to think about. Poor Lester. <laughs> I mean, um, piece of shit. So Molly is in that basement, right? Is that where the scene yeah. that we're on? Yeah, and she goes in the basement looking around and um, ends up, yeah, just, you know, focusing kind of on the washer, which is very smart. <laughs> but, uh, you know, inspects the whole thing. She undoes the back plate. And, you know, this is kind of the scene where you expect her to reach in and find the hammer. When, when you and Tom were watching fargo without me um initially i definitely saw this episode okay and i was like expecting there to be money in the washing oh money (laughs) it's just like there's gonna be money in there and then there wasn't anything and i was like what 
<laughs> Why was that significant? <laughs> For reasons. <laughs> what do you think happened to the hammer? I think Lorne took it. Okay. Right? Because he was down there. I ain't gonna tell you either way. But, um, yeah, so no hammer. And, uh, then uh, we cut back to Stavros and Lorne. And, um, they, I don't know, they talk about, you know, the book, of, the book of Romans in the Bible. And they end up talking about the Romans themselves and wolves and blibbity blop. Lauren's not into the Jungle Book, which, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Those songs are, are pretty good. Yeah. I, I mean, bare necessities. You should give it, a, give it more of a chance. Yeah. If I'm ever at a uh, open mic, I'm always busting out bare necessities on guitar. I choreographed a ballet routine to the bare necessities. Okay, like so you heard that. Five year olds. You heard that, far gone conclusion fans. At our first live show, we're gonna. Be, I'll be performing <laughs> the Bare Necessities on guitar, and Tiffany will be performing her choreographed show. <laughs> yeah, I'll be doing the dance I made up for five-year-olds. Perfect. Well, um, okay, we'll bring some five-year-olds. Fine. I wish I could remember <laughs> what the routine was. I did that like maybe ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Write a new one. Get some five-year-olds. Um, and then there. On the drive, there's a really cool story about a girl and a dog. <laughs> uh, was what was the type of dog? Was it a Rottweiler or something? Did they say, or was it did they just yeah. say dog? Yeah, had a hundred ten pound Rottweiler, and it still had its balls, and she pretended to have sex with the dog, but the dog took it very seriously. Have you ever been around Rottweilers? Yeah. My old coworker had a Rottweiler that she brought into the office once, and that thing was like a horse. They're it fucking was terrifying. So, <laughs> it was so, so big. Uh, in our office was small. It was like just a few of us in this small room, and the dog was like taller than our computer desks. Yeah. Like I, I've intense. been, I've been around so many very nice pit bulls. I'm not afraid of pit bulls at all, but a Rottweiler, you can. You can scare me with a Rottweiler. <laughs> can I scare you with a Golden Retriever? Olive? What's she gonna do? Fall asleep towards me? <laughs> <laughs> she might give you a a really cold look that oh, makes no. you feel bad about the, yourself for your dog's gonna depress me to death. At least <laughs> at least thirty minutes. <laughs> no, I don't think Olive's gonna scare anybody or in, in her entire uh, life. <laughs> okay. Maybe a she rabbit a, or two. She has an intense bark, so it could could be concerning to some people, but, but not the, not the, most people. The only thing you need to do to get away with her is be on carpet when she's on hardwood, and then she'd be like, "Wait, oh, <laughs> isn't that how it works?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry to make sorry, Olive. I don't mean to make fun of you on our podcast. <laughs> So yeah, super cool story about um, a Rottweiler yeah. having to be shot in the back of the head in order to stop humping Lorne's friend's girlfriend. And but but I like I like this scene of um, Lorne pulling into Stav uh, into Stavros's neighborhood and at the exact same turn where Gus spotted Lorne, Lorne spots Gus, but 
Gus is blinded by the headlights and can't see that Lorne is driving the car. Yeah. I like that parallel. That's neato. That is that is fun. I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gus is out there just wondering why Lorne was there, and Lorne just happens to pass by and be like, "Oh shit, there's that fucking guy." <laughs> and uh, so they pull into Stavros's house driveway or his driveway. And Lorne gets fired. Mm-hmm. So Lorne is paid what he's owed as his position. He just says he's sorry it didn't work out. But I have a feeling these two might be interacting a couple more times. And uh, Molly calls Gus. And they are, they're talking about why would Lorne have been on that street that day. And he says he can't figure it out. So he's going to go back the next day. And as they talk, Lorne drives up behind him in the SUV with the lights off. You know, kind of just stalkery creepily. And then he kind of like asks her out, right? A little bit. You know, they kind of propose to take a drive together to just kind of... No, they're just, you know, professional co-workers. I don't know what you're talking about. They're just co-workers. I mean, Tiffany. it says, they do say, like, after we no. get together, compare notes. Yeah, um, you know, But Across the table from each other professionally. Shush. I, it, it, seems, <laughs> it seems like they're, like, 12-year-olds flirting. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. No, that seemed very professional to me. You're tripping. There's no romantic relationships in this show. <laughs> None. So anyway, Lauren continues on his way, but he's he's listening to a police scanner, I believe, right? As he's, he's a going. Police, police scanner, and then he switches to the walkie-talkie to hear Greta. Which is creepy as shit. And her friend doing homework. Oh, is this already when he's out front of their apartment building? Yeah, this is when um, the rabbi comes up to him. Okay, yeah, so he's, he's, so he's pulled up, Gus is getting out of his car... To go into his apartment building. Sorry, I mixed up my notes. Which he clocks which unit it is based on when it turns the lights turn on. Mm-hmm. Here's our savior for the day. Gus's milk friend, milk drinking friend, uh, approach. He knocks on Lauren's window and says he's not supposed to be there, which is very forward. <laughs> for <laughs> just like, yeah, I feel like most most people would ask a few questions to determine whether or not. They might have good reason to be yeah. there, but he's just like, nope. At the same time, I, he's, yeah. I wouldn't trust Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, this. he's not wrong, and he literally. But could you imagine, like, you're 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 going out for a walk with Olive, and in front of your building, there's a car just walking up to somebody's window and being like, "Hey, you're not supposed to be here." Would you ever do that? No, because well, <laughs> I live I live in a city, like. So yesterday, we're gonna story time real quick. Yesterday, <laughs> I was getting food, the food delivery from the front door. They usually call, and so I meet them out there. And the guy is like handing the food off to me, and behind him, I see that there's just a guy laying on the sidewalk right <laughs> behind him. And like, okay. my first thought is like, ah, eh, you know, maybe it's just like a homeless person sleeping there. Like, right. I, you know, not my business. I'm just gonna go inside. And then I, like, take another second. I was like, I don't know. Maybe there is something, like, wrong and I should help. And so um, so I do, like, I did go and, like, ask the person if they needed help. And they were riding one of those scooters. Apparently they ate shit. But I couldn't tell if they were, like, strung out. Well, strung, but yeah. I just, like, walked away. Like, I, well, I made sure he could get up. But then I saw a gun on the ground. Really? That's... Yeah, there was a gun, like a, a handgun, 
on the ground. And so then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back inside now. Oh, my God. And there God. were other people <laughs> that had come out to kind of, like, ask if he was okay. So, Like, like was, like, it? do you think it was his gun that fell out of his pocket when he fell or something? That is, that was the conclusion I came Holy to. Holy shit. It seemed like... It seemed like he went to pick the gun up as he was gathering some of his items that have fallen on the ground. Did you run into Lorne Malvo as he was doing a hit in <laughs> Seattle? <laughs> well, if, look, if Lorne Malvo cut his hair, it, it could have been. Gosh, see, if I was in the same situation and there was a gun on the ground and, like, I had to approach the person, you know what I would say? What would you say? Is that Billy Bob Thornton? That doesn't make any sense in this context for me. <laughs> Did I trick you, though? Did I get you, at least? I thought maybe you would have something different, but uh, alas, I was disappointed. So, is that Billy Bob Thornton? So, so anyway, I think I have a, uh, a long history of proving uh, that, like, weird shit could be happening in yeah, and around yeah. my building. I mean, you lived in the chat. I will just, like, let it, let it go. You, like, you were in the Chaz when that was happening, right? I mean, we were, like, four blocks from the Chaz. Oh, well, excuse me. That doesn't count. But the protest did walk down my street, like, every single night. Like a... I don't know. Like a, a lullaby. As I was falling asleep, I was hearing the protests out Sweet. on the freeway. <laughs> so, God. so yeah, it gets wild. It gets wild in Capitol Hill sometimes. So anyway, <laughs> guy knocks on Lauren Malfoy's window and immediately tells him to leave. <laughs> Is that Billy Bob Thornton? Um, <laughs> Lauren uh, disagrees with him, which is standard Lauren Malvo procedure. Uh, the guy, which you said the neighbor never gets a name, right? I couldn't find he's it. He's just the neighbor. And he says he's neighborhood watch, and if he doesn't leave, he's going to call the cops. And he says, I, th I think he says he knows he's trouble. Doesn't Lauren come back with... What is Lauren... Do, do you have the script up? Lauren says something pretty yeah, not cool, and, right? So he walks up. He says, We don't need a man in a dark car doing things. It's like, You mean like sitting? He says, Don't be a, a nudnik? 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 Uh, this is a community. People watch each other's backs. Someone gets sick. Someone dies. You bring a casserole. Help. And he says... And uh, Lauren says, Maybe I'm here to help. <laughs> he says, No, you have black eyes. Your trouble. Yeah. Which I just think is a good little insult. Uh, and he says, I'm going inside and I'm calling the cops. He says, which building? The one with the Jew bus outside? There it is. Now the truth comes there out. There we go. Yeah, that's what it was. The Jew bus. <laughs> and he says, you know, some people think you don't need alarms on second story windows. They think they can save a few bucks, you know, and still be safe. <laughs> Another way they save money is they don't hook up the alarm to the phone line, so the bell rings, but the cops don't come, or they come, but only after the neighbors call. Yeah. Which, if this community is tight, as you say, you know, just might be quick enough to save your life or your children's lives. Maybe. Lauren's so good at being threatening. Yeah. I mean, this is very similar to his interaction with Gus. You know, where there's yes. it's the man at his window, and he's just being like, you know what, fuck you. Here's here's some shit that I'm not saying I'm gonna kill you, but guess what happens if you don't respond, you know, in the way, the way I want you to. <laughs> it's threatening. The, the calm demeanor that he always has is 
is so good. He could say anything, mm-hmm. really, in that tone, and I feel like, oh, okay. Just Billy Bob's no. all over people. Yep. But he ends up I think, telling oh. the guy to have a nice night and drive off. He drives off, right? And then we're at the hospital again with Molly. She's going to see Ida. And all the other cops are in the hallway. Yeah, being being loud. <laughs> and Tom Tom asked me if I would want um, all his coworkers, all of, my, all of his coworkers, to be there <laughs> at the birth of my child. And you know, no, I want like maybe two people. Yeah, just it, yeah. <laughs> but. I, I do kind I bet of, Ida would be chill about it, though. And she is, in what, you know, I would say. Because it does kind of make sense. I mean, like, because I, I feel like since Vern's death, it really does seem like the police department is taking care of her, you know, as best yeah. they could, even though they're making her wash her own dishes at his uh, <laughs> wake, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that if she... I mean, I guess she does mention having family, but not having such an important person around, I could see being more accepting of having the wrong people around. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas if Vern was there, it'd be like, she'd be like, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you can stay. <laughs> but, you know, at least it's nice to know that, you know, Chief Shitface is going to plow your drive just in case you have, you know, you're going to have your baby. <laughs> yep. And I don't know. Gary Valentine's there. I love him. Um, and, Mo- you know, Molly goes in, and the baby's name is Bernadette. You like the name Bernadette? It's okay. <laughs> and I, I, lo- I love the fact that, you know, Ida asks, you know, Molly how he she's holding up. I mean, I guess it makes sense because she knows Molly, you know, liked Vern as much as she did. Yeah. I mean, I think she probably spent a comparable amount of time with him. Yeah. Given that they they work together and, you know, being a police officer, the hours are not necessarily, like, strict, like, nine to five, so. Yeah, and then, you know. It impacts her a lot. Mm-hmm. And she had to witness it, too, like, and kind of deal with, deal with that scene, the murder scene. Yeah. So. But it is also just funny, like, you know, like, Ida just went through, probably, you know, second to only your husband being murdered, maybe the most traumatic experience of her life. <laughs> and she's like, hey, Molly, how you holding up? <laughs> it just seems like her personality, though, to be a, a little aloof and, like, not quite on the wavelength that you're expecting. Yeah. Um, and so she's not handling the grief in the in the way that you would expect of maybe just being very sad all the time or making it about her. She's very good so at I dealing. So I think it's, it's nice yeah. of her. Very good at dealing. Um, and but She also does ask, though, you know, I think she asked Molly if she's taking care of it, I think, in, you know, in, refer- in reference to, solve, you know, solving Vern's murder. Yeah. And Molly says she's trying we're all working through the story together. <laughs> oh, and we get the great, uh, you know, bit of, uh, you know, Ida says the name Bernadette was Vern's idea, and now he's dead, and jokes that, you know, the man always knew how to win an argument. <laughs> oh, that's so, uh, Is that a punch in the so gut for you? Yeah, I, 
I leaned over to Tom and was like, you're not allowed to die on me. She's just like, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> Tom's going to get you pregnant, and he's going to be like, the baby's name has to be Fuckface, and then he's going to get hit by a car, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't honor Tom like that. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that is, that, that's a... God damn it, Vern Thurman. He just had to go to Lester's. Yeah. And so she goes back down to see Lester, who's uh, sleeping... And she's just looking at him. But we, uh, I think we, we see that Lester's awake, right? Yeah, and she's just staring at him. She's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> I'm gonna get you. And we fade to the credits. This episode felt like it didn't do as much plot-wise. Or maybe just ended on a note that didn't feel as impactful as some of the other episodes have. Well, we're halfway through the season now. And I mean... I'll just say it was bad. It just... I don't know. Yeah. Oh, no, I understand. I was kind of like, oh, is that where we're ending things? I don't know. Yeah, no, because this... I... You know, this is kind of the... It's it's right in the middle. So, you know, like, tri- when a trilogy is planned, the first movie's great, the second movie is just plot advancement, and the third movie is the climax of everything. This is kind of where we're at, right? <laughs> yeah. We're just at plot advancement. Well, I also... One thing I like about this show is that the plotting and pacing is is quick and kind of unexpected. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they're really getting to the... Like, Wrench and Numbers already have Lauren Melvo's name. So they're going to be, like, going after him. Lauren's already completed his deal. Like... I don't know, I just feel like certain things that were set up in the first episode are more or less kind of wrapped or wrapping. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of getting into, like, the next stage of how that's going to evolve with what's the stuff that's been happening since then. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly where everything is going, and that's really fun. I agree. Oh, boy, I agree. (laughs) Okay, are you ready to talk about the title? If we have to, fine. <laughs> we at least have to read the, the thing here. Okay. If, if we don't understand it, that's how, how it goes. <laughs> All right, so um, the episode title comes from a koan. Hopefully that's how you pronounce that word. Attributed to the Zen master Yumin Wenyun and the Buddhist concept of Dharmakaya. The six graspables are the five human senses plus the mind. The six ungraspables signify how neither sense nor thinking can be of any help in the comprehension of the absolute. This might correlate to the character's relationship to the idea of a higher power. See, okay. Last year, me and a me and a friend, me and several friends actually read the Four Agreements. Do you know what the Four Agreements are? No. I, I, I don't even want to get into it, but it's like it's basically an extended pamphlet that's a you know self help book, and it's is very helpful if you can adhere to it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is a similar thing where the six ungraspables in paragraph form. I have no idea what the fuck you just said. But, <laughs> if you gave me, like, the hundred-page summarization of it, then I'd walk away and be like, okay, I get it now. 
So my takeaway after having just read this paragraph is, so it says the six grass pebbles are the five human senses plus the mind. So those are considered grass bubble, but this episode title is the six ungraspables. Um, so I think that it is supposed to be more or less like you have these senses that can grasp onto real concrete, tangible things. And then the ungraspables are things that you can't really comprehend or really, like it's not as concrete. Like religion would be one of those or like how, like a political philosophy or something like that. I see where you're going with it, but being that the six graspables are like sight, smell. So you're saying that there's a smell that I cannot smell and... (laughs) I don't think it translates that specifically. I think that it's more of like a broader metaphor. Okay, well, So there's like... In order to understand something in the world, you can use all of your senses for it. All right. But that the ungraspables are things that you can't necessarily understand from just those. Maybe six times I can ungrasp the crocodile's dilemma. <laughs> With the What's the rooster one? Oh, yeah. With the rooster prince. And then I'll end up on a muddy road. Yeah, I I hope <laughs> we don't do this for every episode for the rest of the show because it makes me feel dumb every single time. Well, well, Noah Hawley, you're a great writer, and I I believe that Noah Hawley might understand all of these titles. And just uh, hey, season five's coming, and I trust in you to write a great season five because you've nailed it so far. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's do some favorite lines which i think all all of them have been <laughs> highlighted already yeah but... these are just ones that i wrote in we kind of did this quick this week so i just i i wrote it wait oh did you write in some i didn't no. get any no yeah this is so if these uh superlative sections go terribly uh blame it on me uh <laughs> so the lines that stood out for me in the episode i don't know you can pick amongst them is uh yeah you know pearl saying to um, Lester at the beginning, you know, as he buys the shotgun. If anyone can shoot themselves with an unloaded firearm, it's you. Is that a good accent? Perfect. And of course, the we were talking about this earlier, Mr. Numbers saying, you know, as Lester's passing out, eventually you'll just swallow your tongue and you'll die like a fish. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe he's just talking about like, if Lester chokes on his tongue maybe he'll look like a fish look like a fish when he's dead i don't know all right hey maybe you could make a friend and give it to him was that good great great (laughs) hold on i'm burping (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah and the hey hold on the follow-up line let me retake this yeah do it all together hold on i can't stop burping hold on i'm dying Gross. I drank Dr. Pepper with lunch, and now it's all coming back to me. I can't drink soda anymore. I'm an old man. Okay, here we go. Hey, maybe you could make a friend and give it to him. Maybe I could give it to you. Call you up late at night, and you could listen to me shit on people. 
What? A, I mean, are there sounds to that? I feel like maybe just the horror of being like, is that what's happening with the audio here? Is that what I'm hearing? Oh, like it would be more traumatizing than the actual. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> like overtly knowing what what sound is being made. Lauren is pretty terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that he can be terrifying while just shitting in front of someone. Oh, you're saying like he's literally shitting on people. <laughs> Is he not? I'm assuming he means like you could listen to me talk shit on people. I don't know. I think he's, I think he's threatening. I mean, I don't think that he, Lauren would necessarily shit on people directly, but I think that he's painting that image for this person. I, 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 you saying that is the first time I've considered it that way. I like the way your mind works. That's very interesting <laughs> that that's where you took it. I just, that's what I think he's. I don't think I so. don't, I don't think that Lauren shit would use. Because shit on people is like a, Ugh. it's a little bit more, um, is colloquial the right word? Like, it feels a little bit too informal. <laughs> you could listen to me shit on people. He did shit in front of Smanko. No, that's what I'm saying. Ugh. But, um, you, I don't know. The, you just showstopper me. Think, I don't know what you're talking, like. <laughs> I don't, I just do not think that Lorne would use... The, oh. the word that way. I just think he's too formal for that. My cheeks hurt. Ow. <laughs> you couldn't. God damn it. All right. Oh. I will finish you up these quotes two. while you burp and I'm dying. Laugh. Um, only a fool thinks he can solve the world's problems True. from our, our parable here. And uh, Ida saying that man always knew how to win an argument. Hmm. All right, Cody filled in the best death. I haven't looked at this yet, so let's see if any of these are good contenders. Since nobody officially uh, died in this episode. Yeah, since we didn't get any... I don't I keep feeling like I'm, I'm forgetting about a death. But it's okay. If we forgot about it, then it wasn't very good. Uh, Bill's incessant need to ruin Molly's investigation. Died this week. Rest in peace. Lester, Lester's <laughs> hand pellet. Removed and probably placed in a trash can. And Don Chump's current freedom. Is gone. He's in a closet and doesn't know where to go to the bathroom. What's your best death? Mm, sorry, I keep hitting the mic. Um, I haven't even heard it, so good news. Be easier so for good, editing. Good. Um, Out of my three terrible suggestions, what would you pick? I'm still, I'm still picturing Bill, Billy Bob Thornton shitting on people. <laughs> so yeah, what's your best death? And um, I'm gonna go with with Bill's incessant need to ruin Molly's investigation. I was trying to think if there was anything else that qualifies as a death in this, um, but but yeah, no, I think that. Yeah, I mean, I agree, because, I mean, think about how insufferable it's been for the past four episodes watching Bill just cut her off at every turn. Yeah. It's it's that was been the worst. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 
It's a real turning point for him. It makes me finally like this character a little bit. Thankfully. God, please. He's just so frustrating where it's like, if you do this one more time, <laughs> dead to me. Exactly. I guess that was the death that was avoided this this episode. <laughs> okay. Episode MVP. We have Mr. Numbers, Which the sock salesman. Hold, hold on, hold on. Let's because I, I feel like we should sell them all a little bit, right? Real quick. Okay. Mr. Numbers does a great job of extracting information. He gets the policeman to give him the police report. And just everything he wanted to accomplish in this episode, he's accomplished, right? Mm-hmm. Same with number two. The sock salesman. He managed to upsell a pair of socks into a shotgun sale. But he also undersold that gun. What if it was a piece of shit gun? I mean, it kind of is. It's just a double-barrel shotgun. It's supposed to be worth way more than $55. All right, fine. I looked it up. (laughs) But, I mean, I guess making a sale is better than no sale. Exactly. Maybe. Number three. And then we have Molly. Yeah, because, I mean, it's Molly, and she finally gets 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 to conduct the investigation she wants to. Right? Yeah. I mean, and I, I know you're always rooting for Molly. I was thinking about I, putting Gus, just because I like his... I like I like all of his scenes in this episode. But at the same time, he doesn't really do anything. Gus needs to step it up <laughs> in order to get on this MVP list. He is taking baby steps yeah. to where he's a not invaluable person. But he's not... He's not in the MVP ranks. Yeah, exactly. But Molly belongs But I belongs hope he there. gets there. Yep. Yeah. We'll see. Okay, are you going to tell me about your secret MVP? So I, con- I, I came into this. We prepared our episode notes together. And <clears throat> in the MVP ranks, I put in Cody's secret MVP. As the fourth possible choice for an MVP. Would you like to know who that is? I would love to know who that is. Jeremy Hofstede. Who is that? The rich man who gives everything away. Mm. And also dies in the episodes. He's also he's also the possibility for best death. Oh. Slam. Yeah. Boom. Cody Secret MVP. Double champ. What do you think? Okay, I'm gonna go with best death uh, <laughs> for your MVP. But I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to add an MVP. Okay, let's see your secret MVP. I would love to uh, see your secret MVP. It's, it's Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> he called the pet stores. No one thought he had it in him, and he did. All right, you heard it here first, he... folks. Best death in the episode, Jeremy Hofstead. Episode <laughs> MVP, Dimitri. What's the last name? How... What's his last name? Mm. God, Stavros Milkios or something like that. Mm, I could not tell you. As can you believe this upset? Can you believe this upset? <laughs> Over Jeremy Hofstede, the, the man who gave away his entire fortune in a parable and ga- committed suicide in order to help to benefit humanity. 
the episode MVP. Uh, it's, it's Milos. Milos? Milos? Stavros Milos. Yeah, Dimitri Milos. Milos. Is the episode um, I also want to... I know we've already, you know, concluded here on, on MVP, but um, I really want to give a shout-out to the rabbi. Mm-hmm. Because he was also one of my contenders here. Best scene in the episode, I would say. I love. He it. really steps up um, against against Lorne. He provides like some help, I guess. To oh yeah, maybe just like solidarity a little bit by by chatting with Gus and kind of helping him walk through his own problems. And I love when someone can help another person without telling them what to do, but giving them like new ways to think about he's, their problem. He's honestly a he's a teacher, a friend, and a defender to Gus. Yeah. All within like two small scenes in the episode. And he does them very effectively. And I mean, I don't know like I think that if he doesn't come back at any point in this season, I think that's still a pretty strong impact. Like, I think that he did a good job in these scenes to, like, I don't know, like, be memorable, I guess. And I know it's possible that he would come back. I'm just saying that he didn't need to do much. Yeah. Spend that much time on screen to have that impact. Yeah, no, I agree. It was, honestly, like I said, where they're dr- the scene where they're drinking milk is my favorite scene of the episode. Yeah. Well, so, well, yeah. Are you mad at me that I I hid Jeremy Hofstede, who is a fake character that happened to just be told in a parable in the episode from you? I think you should have put that under best death. <laughs> but I wanted to write my dumb jokes. <laughs> you gotta... Okay. There's also... You did a great job here. Thank you. There's also moments in the episode where you were like... And I wonder, is there any deaths in this episode? And I had to, like, keep quiet. Because <laughs> technically, nobody died. Technically. Yeah. It was in a parable. <laughs> yeah, the dog, another dog dies. What dog? In a story. The Rottweiler. Oh. Yeah, but see, that's kind of in the same vein. Would you like to nominate him for best death? No. Okay. Fair. I don't want to think about that that story ever again. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it is, it's not a cool story. Anyway, lead us out. Are you? To, are oh. we? Do you feel like we're we're done on this episode? Any other stray observations? I mean, I liked it, and like I said, I you know it is just we're in the middle of the story, so there's no real big resolutions. There's nothing new starting. It's just we're extending the story so i thought it was i thought it was a great episode i you know i love the series so i'm not going to give it any bad reviews (laughs) what about you i'm um i'm ready to keep going it's so hard to watch week to week because i'm such a binge watcher (laughs) and so when i finish a good episode my first reaction is like i gotta see the next thing and i'm like nope wait wait it out oh Um, man so you haven't seen episode six yet no, I haven't. Okay. Um, Are you gonna watch it right after this? <laughs> probably. I don't know. I I keep saving it for later in the week, and then I'm like, oh, crap! I need to watch this right now. 
And Tom tried to get me to watch a movie the other night. And I was like, no, I have podcast homework to do. <laughs> well, I think you're going to like this next episode if it's the one I'm thinking of. I'm excited. Okay. Cool. Well, that's it for our Fargo discussion. You can stay tuned after the bells if you want to hear more about what we've been enjoying and TV, pop culture, etc. this week. Next week, we'll be covering Season 1, Episode 6, Beery Din's Ass. Sounds interesting. Yep. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at FargonPod and Instagram at FargonPod. You can email us at FargonConclusionPod at gmail.com. If you have something nice or terrible to say, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can find me on Instagram at ShamePrayer and listen to my band Bold Villain on all streaming platforms. And you can find me on Twitter at TEAflow or check out my website, TiffanyFlowers.co. Until next week, don't give away all your money at organs to fix the misery in the world. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> oh, shit. She has soft hands, see? And uh, I guess... Uh, Mr. We're not friends. I mean, maybe we will be someday. But I gotta say, if that were me in your position, I would have killed that man. Oh, no. You want to talk about Game of Thrones right now? Yes. Okay. I'm always up for this conversation. Okay, because basically, like, I kind of got sick of the the TV shows I was watching as I was falling asleep, so I pretty much this whole week when I got home from work, I would put on Game of Thrones and fall asleep to Game of Thrones, which is very impractical. <laughs> but I watched all of season three this week. So. And when did you start with season one? I I just start. I literally I just wanted to watch something different than I had been watching, so I just started with season three, episode one. And so basically. That's- I, that's not how it's supposed to work, Cody. But I've seen it all already. I'm not going to start from the beginning. Okay. Who wants to watch season one is of season, Game of Thrones? Is season three... Is that where we get the, the Jamie and Brienne Yes, it's... it's stuff? It's uh, Catelyn Stark sending Jamie with Brienne, and then, uh, you know, it's a lot of... And then we get we get Egret and John. Yes, he's... he's jo- Kissed by Fire is in that season, yeah, right? Yeah, he's joining the Wildlings. He's captured at the beginning and um also you know the, the uh samuel escapes with gilly i there's so much to it i mean how much do you, you know there's black water no 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 that I, I just okay it was really all i wanted was the jamie and brianne stuff and the john and you grit yeah we get the loss of the hand that, which we talked about in the because i remember revisiting that season and i had well revisiting the whole show before yeah. the, the final season aired and just like oh, season three is so fucking good, <laughs> like so many bangers. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot. And I mean, there was nights where I stayed up way later than I should have, just because. I mean, you know, if Blackwater comes on, what am I not going to watch Blackwater? You know. <laughs> or yeah. And you know, we get um, Tyrion marrying uh, Sansa. We get mm-hmm. you know Joffrey courting. Uh, Mark, you know, and we also, yeah, the beginning of the season, you know, there's, Renly dies at the beginning, Stannis and mm. uh, the Red Woman's plot. It's a, you know, there's so much shit that happens. I love the Tyrells. They're mm-hmm. great. You weren't happy with their ending. <laughs> um. Were you? I was okay. No, I was fine with that. Really? And... Okay. 
as an episode i love i love a season the season six finale like i could just watch that like as my only experience of game of thrones like over and over until i die the light of the seven like just does so many things to my heart mm-hmm. um tom has a ton of like great headphones <laughs> and when i'm high i'm like put the good headphones you on and the just do light of the sun <laughs> yeah yeah no it's so good that was a great so anyway episode of television. i like that episode um and i remember you telling me you knew about the set blowing up because you listened to storm of spoilers probably the reason we're and, doing this podcast <laughs> yeah and uh and so then i was like oh i gotta get on the yep. spoiler train so thanks joanna robinson for all of this yeah. Uh, so, what are your takeaways from rewatching Game of Thrones? Man, the Red Wedding's or this season. The Red Wedding's still just just a bummer. Um, Arya traveling the road with Gendry and um, what's the shoot? I can't think of his name. The larger child, hot pie? Pot, hot pie. Yeah, it's it's just <laughs> fun. You know, there's there's fun stuff to happen. We get a little bit of jacket or what's his name, Jack and Hagar. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, see. Is this where she's with? Um, she's in Heron. Where they're in the Heron Hall yeah. with Tywin Lannister. Yeah, she's in Heron Hall for a lot of it. Which you know the the Tywin Lannister stuff with Arya isn't in the books, but it's such a good addition mm-hmm. to the show. In that you know Tywin is like a total hard ass, but Arya has like I don't know things that she could learn from him and she's growing into her own little like hard-ass murdery mm-hmm. person and um he's like acknowledging her and some of her strengths and so i'll also say though it's all just good. at the same time uh, you know what was really interesting to look back on is um after blackwater it's interesting seeing Tyrion and tywin interact knowing what's to come you know yeah. Because you can tell that there's... Tywin doesn't die... He doesn't get shot until the end of season four, right? Or like... Yes. Season four. Or season four. Yeah. So we have a whole... Yeah, the purple wedding. Yeah, because after... Yeah, season four, episode two is when Tyrion gets put in custody. At, yeah, I think it's like episode nine. You know, it's always episode nine with Game of Thrones where big shit goes down. Yeah. And so, yeah, of course, Red Wedding's episode nine in this. Anyway, um, how about you go one, and then I'll talk about my other one. What have you been watching or reading or listening to this week? Um, okay, I will, I'll hype up Succession again, <laughs> uh, because I just finished the first season rewatch, and I think the new episode comes out today, but I'm going to finish season two before I even start on it, and it's just so good it, the <laughs> the way it's shot it's almost like a little bit of like a a documentary like there's a lot of like kind of harsh like zoom in cuts and it all just feels like very tense when not a lot is actually happening the characters don't even need to say very much and you just get so much out of it and it's so funny um there's fuck off is like what everyone says to one another in the in this family very you know close fi- family dynamic like an oofda um, or don't you know in fargo 
Yeah, except it's it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's like the the Roy family slogan. And um, there's this one character that has a like a, a breakdown of you know of sobriety. I guess is the particular issue, but it's just like. I don't know, I love, I kind of love seeing characters that are typically, like, more type A responsible just crack and be like, fuck it, I don't care anymore. <laughs> and they're just like, I'm just going to drink, I'm just going to say whatever I think. And I feel like those characters always get, like, while ultimately what they're doing is unhealthy, you get to see them be, like, I don't know, uh, uninhibited. And the what they might be able to learn from not caring so much and not holding themselves back because of whatever dumb rules they've made about themselves. And it's just so good. And I don't know, I feel kind of a little masochistic being like, I love the way this character breaks down and starts feeling terrible about themselves, but I do. (laughs) And that's, that's where I'm at. So I'm very excited to get back to season two. So, so what are you caught up with the se- the series? I've seen all of it. I just want to rewatch season. Okay. Really, I didn't. I didn't need to rewatch season one because I remember it pretty well. Yeah. But I wanted to rewatch season one, so I'm gonna yeah catch up on or, or finish my rewatch. Have you watched Bill uh, Billions? No, because I I've heard if I've heard Succession is actually vaguely similar to billions it's i mean it's all kind of monetary stuff going on and it's social drama kind of in the same vein it's an hbo show that's still going on right now um and it's also you know our director of our show that we watched today directed a few episodes of billions yeah yeah i hear good things about it and i wanted that was the most i knew about billions is putting that note in the oh really (laughs) yeah it's um What's his name? Uh, shoot. Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti, yes. Yeah, you know, it just being Paul. Who doesn't like a sh- anything that Paul Giamatti does? Oh, Damian Lewis and Maggie Smith. And Dan Soder, shout I'm... out. Crackle, crackle. <laughs> Sorry, that's a Dan Soder reference. Bonfire reference. But, um, I don't know, maybe check that okay. out if you... If it's vaguely similar. Okay. Yeah. There's so many... There's so many shows. There's so many seasons. Yeah, it's it's absurd. Um, all right, did you have another another show you wanted to? I wanted to talk about the Many Saints in New York just a little bit, just because I, you don't watch The Sopranos, do you? No. Okay. I just want to say I I watched the Many Saints in New York, which is a uh, prequel to The Sopranos, wherein the main character Tony Soprano is he's. Uh, nine i think he's nine years old and then 14 years old for a good portion of the film so it's based all upon his uncle and his father and their associates and a bunch of other characters from the show loved it i don't know if y'all you'll ever get into the sopranos but is it a movie yes it's just a movie and um okay and it came out recently yeah and david chase wrote it who is the creator of the sopranos great movie um, and apparently, him and Lawrence or Terrence Winter, who uh, wrote a lot of the original Sopranos, are talking about doing another film. Uh, they're both open to it, I should say, and I'm super excited if they do another one because I think they knocked it out of the park. 
There's some things, you know, of course in it that are weird, but it's just, I love The Sopranos and anything more that they'll give us from the universe of The Sopranos, I'll watch. Loved it. What else you got? Uh, I've actually, I've been curious to check out The Sopranos. Like that's sort of Pretty made great. it onto my, onto my list, but it's, the list is, is tight. Uh, right now for things to yeah. to watch. Um, I'm going to do a little rapid fire through some fun things that I want to sure. I want to shout out and because it's only I, I'm watching a lot of shows with Tom right now that like <laughs> we watch one episode of and then we don't watch another episode for like a week and I hate it. Um, <laughs> but we're we're moving through Kevin can fuck himself, mm. which is. St- Still really compelling. I don't know if it will continue to hold my attention. I wonder how long I can do it. But I'm still just fascinated by the shift between the, um, what's it called? Like the sitcom Sitcom and, and then single camera drama. Yeah, like the shift is so stark and it's, it's just really cool. I think kind of similar to... Um, like the way WandaVision worked with that is this just sort of like breaking yeah. that fourth wall a little bit of the way TV sh- shows are told. And I think there's something kind of charming about sitcoms in general that, you know, we all have to sus- suspend our disbelief for a lot of different things. So um, moving through on that, I am five episodes into Foundation. And I actually wanted to point out that I felt like... Um, so Foundation is like a sci-fi series based on a book that I will be reading oh. once I finish this um, this uh, season. But it, you know, it's it's heavy on math, and there's um, this mathematician that has kind of predicted the end of the world, <laughs> and he has this big plan, and this young girl from a uh, kind of anti-science planet is. <laughs> uber smart and gets you know wrapped up into all of this and it was interesting because this uh the latest episode the fifth one kind of like it goes back and fills in some of the gaps of stuff that was sort of laid out in the first episode and i feel like that's a similar like setup for the season that we have with Lester. For like this episode of Fargo, we got oh yeah more flashbacks to that first that first episode, and we're like filling in more of the the blanks to that. Oof, and that. I just thought it was interesting that that's sort of a um, little bit of that trend to wait until maybe closer to the middle of the season <laughs> to to go back to to the season or episode one type stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think that's it. That's all I have. How's your dog? I thought there was one more, but. How's your dog doing? She's good. She's, she's sleepy. That's nice. But I, I had like a migraine all day yesterday, so I don't have to deal with her. (laughs) Beautiful. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so that's all. That's all I've got for today. Well, um, I don't know. Should we have some more of a fun outro for oh, this outro? section? What do we do? Let's see. I mean, it doesn't need to be gimmicky, but just <laughs> something. 
Um, let's see, uh, so, uh, for all you far gone conclusion listeners, go fuck yourself and suck our balls. That seems excessive. Okay, fine. What else? What, what would, how would you phrase it? Um, okay, that's it for this episode. Perfect, I like that time. No warning, no words of farewell.